say. You're not expecting that to be vulnerable. Yeah, but I'm hearing stories. Blame you first. No. no, I mean, this is, and actually, when you kind of, when this is a topic we hear about. And in fact, I think I'm going to start off. I was going to do this at the end, but I'm going to do this. We're going to watch a video. Yes. Yes. Like school, video day. Uh, you know, I'm back in the old school days of, I don't know, Lance probably remembers this. When you walked in the classroom and you saw the film projector, yeah, you yeah. went, yeah. All right, it's going to be a good day. <laughs> sleep. Yeah. So, you know, and the little thing where you had to rip, put the ribbon through and everything. Do you guys want the lights off? It's either pitch black in the video or the video. Uh, what do you guys prefer? Uh, how many of you know Brene Brown? Anybody know Brene Brown? Personally. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, vulnerability. She, she, this is actually a shame conference, but uh, she's talking about vulnerability. Let's, 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 and I just want to play this very quick. I was going to do this at the end, but I'm going to do it now. Oh. So what do you guys think of vulnerability? What's scary about vulnerability while I everything. do this? Well, come on, you mean I, what, what is it? everything? Who, who, what is vulnerability? Opening yourself up. Yeah. Hmm? Totally yeah. You yeah, you guys saw the definition before I got this, right? You can take advantage of it. Can be, yes. That's but but there's no way to avoid vulnerability when you think about it. To live is to be vulnerable. To be in a relationship is to be vulnerable. Uh, there, there's no way, as we're going to discover by the end of this classroom, this last section today, there is no way to conduct your life without being vulnerable. Well, that wasn't really number three to me. Yeah. Say what? Nobody can really number three to you when it comes to life. That's a great way to put it. Otherwise, we have to be faked or yeah. we have to be fed off from people. Yeah. Like your way of minimizing your vulnerability. I'm not even picking. Oh, there's me. Okay, there's me. There's me. Vulnerability. 
measurement of courage. To be vulnerable, to let ourselves be seen, to be honest. One of the weird things that's happened is after the TED explosion, um, I got a lot of offers to speak all over the country. Um, everyone from schools and parent meetings to Fortune 500 companies, um, and so many of the calls went like this. Hey, Dr. Brown, we loved your TED talk. We'd like you to come in and speak. We'd appreciate it if you wouldn't mention vulnerability or shame. <laughs> That's what she's known for, so vulnerability shame. What would you like for me to talk about? There's three big answers. This is mostly, to be honest with you, from the business sector. Innovation, creativity, and change. So let me go on the record and say, vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. <laughs> to create is to make something that has never existed before. There's nothing more vulnerable than that. Adaptability to change is all about vulnerability. The second thing, in addition to really finally understanding the relationship between vulnerability and courage, the second thing I learned is this. We have to talk about shame. And I'm gonna be really honest with you, when I became like a vulnerability researcher, um, and that became the focus because of the TED Talk, and I'm not kidding that, I'll give you an example about, <laughs> Three months ago, I was in a sporting goods store, buying goggles and shin guards and all the things that parents buy at the sporting goods store. About from 100 feet away, this is what I hear. Vulnerability Ted, vulnerability Ted. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fifth generation Texan. Our family motto is lock and load. I am not a natural vulnerability researcher. Um, so I'm like, just keep walking. She's on my six. Um, and then I hear, vulnerability, Ted. I turn around and I go, hi. She's right here. And she said, you're the shame researcher who had the breakdown. She had a breakdown during her research on shame. At yeah. this point, parents are like pulling their children close look away um, and I'm so worn out at this point in my life I look at her and I actually say it was a freaking spiritual awakening <laughs> and she looks back and does this I know and she says we watched your TED talk in my book club then we read your book and we renamed ourselves the Breakdown Babes. <laughs> and she said, our tagline is, we're falling apart and it feels fantastic. <laughs> you can only imagine what it's like for me in a faculty meeting. I'm gonna skip to another part here. Just to give you some background, she, she's written a lot of shame books, vulnerability books, and she has one of the most popular TED Talks of all time. And, but during the midst of her shame TED Talk, she had a, when she writes a book, she puts breakdown and she's crying <laughs> over the line, she's going to put spiritual awakening. 
all throughout her book. And she's actually a Christian, and her pastor always gets on to her because sometimes her language is a little salty, and her pastor always gets on to her for her salty language. But she, she actually has social anxiety, and she's here speaking in front of groups wow. like this. And wow. it's, I mean, yeah, she, so she has to deal with it, but she's got a great quote here. Social anxiety and prayer talk? Does not. That's <laughs> usually not the same sentence. Yeah, and she, she has breakdowns after the, here's her, here's a great quote here. And no one that gets on the stage so far that I've seen has not failed. I have failed miserably many times. I don't think the world understands that because of shame. There's a great quote that saved me this past year by Theodore Roosevelt. Um, a lot of people refer to it as the man in the arena quote. And it goes like this. It is not the critic who counts. It is not the man who sits and points out how the doer of deeds could have done things better and how he falls and stumbles. The credit goes to the man in the arena whose face is marred with dust and blood and sweat. But when he's in the arena at best, he wins, and at worst he loses. But when he fails, when he loses, he does so daring greatly. And that's what this conference to me is about. All right, so I got another quote if we have time to see it at the end here. But so we, we look at this vulnerability thing and so as you hear this, and, and the reason why I wanted everyone to uh, kind of, why is it doing this now? Computers. Uh, so here is the official definition, the quality of state of being exposed. Someone, someone said exposed in here. To the possibility of being attacked or harmed, either physically or emotionally. Vulnerability is not fun, is it? No, no it's not. Fact, Brene Brown, who was just in that video, she talks about she went, uh, the army hired her to come speak to soldiers. And of course, men are like, vulnerability, no, uh -uh, no. And she says, any of you, and these are veterans of war, have any of you in your war situation ever felt exposed? Well, yeah, now you know vulnerability, you know. And so by the end, so it is, it's one of, our problem is we're taught almost to try to avoid vulnerability at all cases, which leads to a lot of our dysfunctional behaviors. And to if everybody in here breathing right now, in order to be alive, you have to be vulnerable. How many of you have relationships in your life? To be in a relationship, you have to be vulnerable. In fact, Matt, you gave us a great example at the beginning of this. For those of you who weren't here, who was it? Your seven-year-old nephew? He is texting you, and you say out loud, I hope jokingly, how do I block this kid? <laughs> Which we'll get to the traumatic reasons why not to tra traumatize a seven-year-old by blocking him. Uh, <laughs> but do you mind me asking you what is the issue about the uncomfortability? You're not evil. You're not. It's just go with that. Annoying. It's just kind of like, why, why is he texting me? It's a, he's a cute little kid. I have next to, other than relationship with Madison, next to nothing to do with him. So when it comes to other people's kids, even in relations, like like relationship-wise, I'm still like, I'm, I'm just kind of uncomfortable with other people's kids. I just think. Maybe he looks up to you. Oh, well, we've already talked about yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> Scrooge. 
I let me give you my card because that kid's gonna need some counseling that's weird <laughs> after the rejection that that does I guess. No, but I mean no but no I, I'm we're joking with you. But I mean there is an uncomfortability which comes with vulnerability. You said other people's children. Yeah. Where do you uncomfortable get from all that? I don't know if I get I mean I can't I just think you really care for them. Well uh, <laughs> I mean they're comfortable. <laughs> There's a long list of things that you can do for that. What some of the things that cuts us off from just wish his life did. And thank you for allowing me to use you as a guinea pig. Uh, is an uncomfortableness with vulnerability. If, if I may speak for you, there is a vulnerability having a seven-year-old, and, and he's constantly texting you, right? Like, probably every few days, I just go, I just delete the message. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> he does respond. Yeah. I responded once. Well, I mean, but there is a, there is a vulnerability that even coming in that kind of. Opening yourself to anybody, we're not just talking romantically, we're talking about any type of relationship, is setting yourself up for hurt, whether disappointment. Well, I mean, I think we put it under the umbrella hurt. I mean, all that comes, you know, disappointment, physical, emotional, psychological. I mean, in order to have a healthy relationship, that person has to see you. And that means vulnerability, that means opening up parts of you. And the more intimate the relationship, the more you have to show them. Because if you don't, it's a, it's a relationship based on fakeness. It's a relationship based on not being true. And it's, you know, in our relationship with, with God, it's the same thing. I mean, God, it's so amazing because I had a discussion with a client yesterday uh, that came to see me. And we had this very talk. I said, hey, great, you got any time to talk about my class tomorrow? Uh, and he said, it, I grew, he grew up in a kind of church situation. Don't talk about your problems, particularly to God. Said, well, don't tell God that you're having a bad day. And he goes, why? Yeah, it just, God knows, <laughs> you know, just, he knows I'm having a bad day. And, you know, he, he grew up and think, well, it's, you know, it's, it's negativity and it's negative confession and stuff, and it's not showing faith because you're saying you're admitting you're having a bad day. And I went, that's the worst type of, that's fake faith. Because basically, you know what you're telling God? You say, well, don't say you're sick because you might, you know, because that's negative confession. You don't say you're having a bad day because it's negative confession. Is actually saying that you serve a God who can't handle anything. Exactly. I mean, the type of, I serve a God that, oh my goodness, he can't handle your bad news. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, the ultimate sign of faith is, Lord, I'm going through this. I can't do it myself. I need yeah. you. And it's getting it off of your chest. And it's getting off your chest. But our 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 just inner inner thing of vulnerability, a fear of it, keeps us even from sharing things with God. And that and that's what Satan wants from us because vulnerable. Here's the thing: we seek so many times to get vulnerable out of lies. You're not going to be successful, and in doing so, you're going to cause more problems than, than solve. Let's do this. I, let me give you some scriptures here. Because here Paul is, this, the book of Second Corinthians, there's so much vulnerability in this book. That he, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made in perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. In insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. 
for when I am weak, then I am strong. And so bank, and everyone's pretty much aware of the, the story behind this passage of Scripture. I didn't read the whole context. But Paul, you know, he doesn't have, you know, he, he's so, Paul had a problem with boasting, pride. And he was given a vision of the third heaven. And even in this passage of Scripture, he says, I know a man. In fact, he's trying to get the attention off of him. He says, I know a man who saw a vision that no one else has ever seen before. And God sent a, um, a hardship in my direction in order to keep me humble. And but in Bible college, we've all had the debate. And my thorn in the flesh. Everybody knows that. You know, he sent me a thorn in the flesh. We had a debate in Bible college that lasted a whole week on what was the thorn in the flesh, where, you know, there's, you know, one one theory is that a person falling around heckling him. The other thing was a person said some kind of spiritual issue of like pride or something. And the third one is that a physical issue. I take on the physical that I believe it was his eye problem that he had. And he said, I prayed three times that God would remove this thorn in the flesh from me. And three times God said, And then it goes, then it goes into saying, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is a vulnerability. Here Paul's having to admit that I have a weakness, I need God. And in fact, when I am weak, then I am strong because Christ's power rests on me. That takes great vulnerability to do. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. That last part again. Which part? The last part in my weakness. What? Is that God, that Christ found me rest on me? Or before that? Well, what was the topic? <laughs> oh my goodness. Sorry. I hope everybody picked that up. Uh, <laughs> I got to start all the way over. Oh man. Sorry, Liz. <laughs> Go ahead. No, no, she turned it on before you guys got here, so it's okay. So, uh, it recorded everything, even your tiger stripe story. I <laughs> know he couldn't hear it. <laughs> She'd cut that out. She'd cut that out. Um, about uh, that is why for in his weaknesses. Rest well, because even in my weaknesses. I'm strong, and in my weaknesses, I because Christ's power rests on me, I am strong. Okay. Is that it? Yeah, or I don't know. It's just what was the topic at hand that you were wanting to know about? <laughs> oh, therefore I well, he boasts about his weaknesses, and it, it takes great vulnerability in our relationship with God. Otherwise, we're prideful. To admitting, I have weaknesses, I have pride, I mess things up, i a jerk at times, and I, well, my and, and my weaknesses are all at the front, because as a Christian, Christ's power rests on me, therefore turns my weakness into strength. A great example is Paul himself, he was a bigot. He hated Gentiles. He hated Christians. And not only does when, when Christ saves him and, and his power began to rest on him, he became the greatest of Christian preachers, but he even became an apostle to the Gentiles. He was a Jew, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Jew of Jews, where he hated Gentiles. And through that weakness, when Christ's power rests on him, he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's what that's what God can do when we admit our vulnerabilities to him. You know, I mean, 
Peter was a coward. Hey, Christ, I'm going to, Jesus, I'm going to stand with you. I'm not, I'll, I'll get the sword and I'll fight for you. Jesus goes, no, before the cock crows three times, you're going to, you're going to, no, no, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. No, and he does it. And he is in his shame. He's in his vulnerability. But then on the day of Pentecost, he's the one that stands up and proclaims Jesus to a, a multitude of people. So when we, when we glory and we sit in our weakness but give it all over to Christ, it can make, become a strength. So that's what recognizing of, of our vulnerability does. So, oh, man, yeah. That's not fun to learn stuff about ourselves. You remember last week I asked, everyone remember I asked you the question last week, your earliest childhood memory. And then, boo, it just started off. And then Faith even gets home and she goes, you, now I'm thinking of other stuff now. <laughs> we were sitting there watching Dr. Quinn or something. <laughs> just on a, now I'm thinking of other childhood memories because of you. We start discovering ourselves a lot more about things. Sometimes we don't like what we see when we look in the mirror. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him and are dealing with you. Once again, about our weaknesses. Uh, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show us that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. If I boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. I think that's the same thing. That's the same verse. Never mind. Let's go back to Adam and Eve on this situation. The covering of themselves. Remember the fig leaves? I, I said the leaves. I think they were fig leaves. The, the leaves, the covering of themselves were man's attempt to cover up their vulnerability. That, uh, that they were feeling through sin and shame in a way only man could do when he cuts out God. So they are covered in the glory of God in the, in the garden, and they can have anything they want. We got a tree. This is the tree. And he says, you can eat anything. It grows for you. You don't have to till the ground. You don't have to do the planting. You just go up to the tree and eat the fruit. You can eat anything except this one and that same how you know kid that you know every parent has a kid that you tell them to go to the right they're going to go to the left you tell them to go up they're going to go down they're just going to do the tell me what I, you want me to do i'm going to do the opposite <laughs> so don't eat from this tree and then they become obsessed with that tree and the devil comes along and convinces them be fools not to eat from the tree they eat from the tree, and then the devil goes, you were fools to eat from the tree. See, the devil's just going to criticize you no matter what. And then suddenly the glory of God is off of them, and they are exposed. Now, remember, when, I think that's one of the first weeks we did this series, and we were studying Adam and Eve. Remember I said, and they were naked, and we're, we're, we're talking, the problem wasn't lack of clothes. I actually think they, they, they felt in danger because they lost the glory of God. It wasn't just because they had no clothes on. It was the fact of they let they lost God's protective covering over them. And they realized we're at the mercy of the elements, we're at the mercy of everything. It's when you realize that you've lost God. And so they went, what do we do? And I that's this is why I think it's the fig it was a fig tree, not an apple tree. Because I think they grabbed the leaves of the tree that caused the whole problem in the first because it represents man's desire of legalism. And so they covered themselves with these fig leaves 
in order to reproduce God's glory. But the covering themselves were an attempt to cover up their vulnerability. They felt exposed. And they looked at each other. And so even in, in God's judgment, when he comes along in judgment, the desire will be for each other. Your vulnerabilities. I mean, it, it, God almost kind of predict marital strife and such. Because in, in the dealings of vulnerability, when couples come to me, it's usually because one or both of their vulnerabilities have been challenged or even betrayed or exposed or hurt or something like that but that's all relationships so adam and eve all of us you know god said the desire will be for your husband but he's really saying it to both of them your desire is the superiority thing of you guys are going to try to one-up each other and your vulnerability to where a lot of times when we have in relationship people say i'm going to withhold this about me so you can't see it bad stuff happens after that in order to we're we're going to look into the topic of connection later into this series but for now we're not but we are that made a lot of good sense didn't it uh in order to be connected and that's what it is in relationships getting connected uh to others in a healthy way you have to be seen you have to be seen and when i say seen as that other person now this is romantic this is friendship this is even work relationships to where you you have to be seen by that person. And I get a lot of couples that come to me that they they find out about something about their spouse for the first time in a counseling session. And you go, you never knew that about your spouse? They went, no. I said, they weren't being seen. So you have to be seen. This is vulnerability to be seen. In that story, that was kind of the tiger stripe story. That was... There was a little bit of exposure there, was it there? <laughs> it's not fun. And this is why, see, people associate vulnerability with being negative, which it has those feelings of negativity, but in, in trying to cover up, that's where we cause our problems. To be seen, you have to be vulnerable. Making yourself where you cannot be seen by others leads to your unhealthy behaviors. Thus, to be healthy, you have to be vulnerable. You first have to be vulnerable to God, which is very strange because God already knows your vulnerabilities. He knows your weaknesses already. But this, there's almost kind of a thing he's trying to get you to admit them to him. Kind of like the rich young ruler comes to him, and Jesus is playing a tween game with him. Because he goes, well, what's it take to be one of your disciples? He says, ah, oh, Jesus is going, uh, how are you on the commandments, the Ten Commandments? Oh, I'm great. Got him down. Jesus goes, okay, okay. Oh, I want you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. And he went away. What did he say? He went away sad because why? He had great wealth and he loved it. Jesus knew the whole time his problem was not obeying his parents or keeping the Sabbath. He knew the whole time that his problem was what? Materialism. And Jesus just wanted him to admit it. Come on, just admit that you got this. All right, no. That's to be healthy, you have to be vulnerable. First in your relationship to God, then your kind of relationship with the people in your life because if you're not vulnerable, you are putting up a wall or you're trying to be invisible or you're trying to be fake. And this is what this... Uh, for, so, in, I don't know. I, mean, I should have put this one first. In, avoiding it forces us to compensate to replace it. 
So if you're not going to be vulnerable with the people that are around you, you've got to be something with them. This comes with pride, racism, avoidance, rage, fear, materialism, addictions. You get the idea. Your issues are probably another way that you're covering up vulnerability. Because, for instance, your pride is covering up. I'm perfect at everything. Ever know someone who is just like God's gift to the world? Anybody, just They're right about everything. Even when they're wrong, they're right. Well, that's, they just don't want to come across as vulnerable. Avoidance, rage, fear, materialism, addictions. It is an answer to our vulnerabilities. How can I, how can I not feel the fear or the negativity of vulnerability? Well, I'm going to replace it with addictions. I'm going to replace it with avoidance. I'm going to replace it with something. So I try to get that. Adam and Eve tried to replace it with their own leaves. Because they lost the true glory of God. They lost their covering. So they tried to cover it with man-made. Legalism, folks, in a church is man's attempt to replace the true holiness of God with a man-made regulation. Vulnerability. Because you feel t- legalists are the most spiritually scared people on the face of the earth. They can't handle the vulnerability, so they replace it with a man-made rule system well my sleeves only go up to here and my dress only go here i don't i don't smoke i don't chew i don't date girls who do kind of a thing and anybody ever hear that before you've never heard that my dad grew up in a church that that's what they my dad and his old and his church was old time pentecostal said that you we don't date we don't chew we don't date girls who do and uh, no we we don't drink we don't chew we don't date girls who do and so but i mean legalism is man's attempt to face his own vulnerability can't handle it so i make up man-made rules and we keep them therefore i do but they're the most unhappy people really deep down so it is at the this is at the heart of relationships so what does this have to do with shame because vulnerability if not handled well leads to a lot of shame there's no shame in being vulnerable Brene Brown at the beginning of that video talks about to be vulnerable is the most biggest sign of courage. There is just something to be said about being vulnerable with someone that has anybody ever had to tell something to a spouse or a close friend of something from your past that was like the scariest thing you ever had to say to, you know, that was vulnerable, but it was courageous. And hopefully the other person did not betray that vulnerability. And that's our problem a lot of times with this is we were betrayed at one time with our vulnerability. So we get to be scared. of. Does that make sense? Someone betrayed our vulnerability and, and, and hurt us. So therefore we hold our vulnerability back from even healthy people. And, you know, the, when I had to explain to Faith some of the things that I went through as a child, oh, for a man particularly, that's tough. It's tough for everybody. And just to go when she, you know, because to be honest with you, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I, I, man, I I wanted to be the typical man of just nothing, I'm tough and stuff. And I had to tell her some of the things and she goes, it was scary. And I mean, I've had the counseling sessions where the man comes to me privately and says, I need to tell my wife that I was molested as a child. And that is the tough one of the, you know, it's tough for everybody. But, you know, dealing with men, because we, they had tend to have a harder time with that 
because of the manhood thing and everything, the masculinity, having to go tell his wife that I was molested as a child. And that was great vulnerability. And that's where you're hoping that that person you're telling is safe, is healthy. And, I, and what I always tell people, not everybody's earned the right to hear your vulnerability. Stay away from jerks. <laughs> just, I mean, they're just, not everybody has earned the right to hear your story. Uh, there, there, are, there are idiots out there. And uh, everybody see my post yesterday I put about, don't take the uh, criticisms of people you wouldn't go get advice from live by that <laughs> you know if you're not going to go get advice from them don't let their criticisms get to you and and but anyway it is at the heart of healthy relationships that i should put is vulnerability of being vulnerable of being that scene uh secrets keep people sick i'm gonna keep, continue to live by that let me go back here's the thing you are worthy of connection this is how we fight vulnerability by saying you are worthy of love and belonging now, some of my very, quote-unquote, spiritual friends, oh, we're not worthy of love, brother. We're sinners. You know, okay, spiritual aspect. I understand what you're saying there. But I'm talking about in human condition. All of you are breathing. All you have a pulse, right? You're worthy of love and belonging. Love and belonging. I don't know why I did this. <laughs> so you can hear me better. <laughs> I don't know why I did it. Love love. <laughs> uh, worthy of love. We're worthy of human respect just because we're alive. Now, sinners, I know, but we're sinners saved by grace. Uh, as Christians, our life in Christ is the foundation of this belief. Anybody, did I tell the story about the the uh, little caesar's manager up north somewhere i don't know if i she 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 found out she kept coming to work she came to work early one day and she saw the homeless guy that's in the neighborhood and he was searching the trash his thing was he was digging out the pizza they'd thrown away uh to eat it and she went into tears and so she left him a note saying you are a human being you don't need to be digging through trash you are worthy of more respect than that Please come to, up to the front door, come inside. I'll give you fresh pizza and something to drink because you deserve respect. And I think that's what Christ's purpose for us is. Yes, we're sinners. Yes, what's the old hymn? I, such a worm as I. I mean, just this unhealthy, low self-esteem we're supposed to know. You fight vulnerable, vulnerability by saying you are worthy of love and belonging. And... And a lot of times in my relationship counseling, I'm going, this is where we set our boundaries. I know Melissa talked about boundaries, but one of the biggest boundaries I do say, and sometimes this takes great courage to say, you're not going to talk to me that way. And uh, because I'm worthy of respect. And, um, you know, it's, I've had to, in my sessions as couples, I've had them say some really wicked things to each other. I said, wait a second here. We're, you can be mad, but you don't get to say that. You don't get to call them that. I said, there's a difference between expressing anger and expressing disrespect. And 
you are worthy. If Satan does anything, that first part right there tries to get you thinking that you are not worthy of love and belonging. He tries, you know, because once again, what I'm saying is our life in Christ is the foundation of his love in our life. He died for us. He went to the cross for us. Why? Because he loved us. For God so what? Loved the world. You know, that he gave his only begotten son. You know, Christ went to the cross based on his love for us. And he wanted us to what? Belong to him. Satan tries to get us to forget that. That we are worthy of that. Now, in doing so, we have to, you know, in order to become a Christian, you have to go to Christ and say, I'm a sinner, I need your forgiveness, and that takes great vulnerability on our part. But look at the benefits, and that's why I want to teach people. The benefits of vulnerability done in a healthy way are wonderful because when we are seen by each other, we grow closer. And... When it's done unhealthily, un, is that a word? Unhealthily, sure, <laughs> leads to shame. Oh my goodness, you were this, you were that. I did have a woman say one time when her husband revealed about his molestation, he's not the man I thought he was anymore. Which of course brings on to him what? Shame. But I've also had, you know, women in that situation go, he's still my husband. I love him. So I love him now more than ever because he was vulnerable with me. And women, same thing with their husbands. When the husband responded in a healthy way, going, doesn't change. It makes me more protective. It makes me more whatever. It's the vulnerability in a healthy situation is a, is, is a huge benefit because it fights the shame. That fights shame. When the person you are vulnerable with responds in a healthy way, Shame goes out the window. We're going to discover how to be healthy with vulnerability. And one is, I'm going to reveal to it to you, is empathy. Sharing in the emotions of others. We, we, we need to get back. I still like to watch Facebook, just the way we treat each other on Facebook right now is a horrible situation. There's no empathy. There's no, you know... Walking in the shoes of other people, you know, we just don't, you know, I, I, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean to get political here. I'm not going to get real political because I think racism is wrong. One of my close friends I've ever had in my life is, happens to be an African-American man. And I, I don't normally try to, he's an African-American, but in the terms of the story, I'm going to say it. He's the one that taught me that I have to be careful how I judge that situation. Because I remember a time he was just driving down the road. He got pulled over for no other reason but the color of his skin. And he says, what are you doing here? He says, I'm going back to school. I'm, his college was down the road. And he says, I was over here, and I'm going back to I go to school up here. He says, the cop kind of got him out, handcuffed him, put him up, checked his license and everything. He wasn't speeding. He wasn't, didn't get a ticket. And... The cop basically, the reason I stopped you is because of the color of your skin. This is my road. Now, he went to a very deep southern university. <laughs> a very deep south. Uh, 
And he said, that wouldn't happen to one of my white friends. And so I, I, I've never walked in that. I don't know what that's like. I've never been stopped for the color of my skin. So that's, that's part of empathy is like, man, that must have been horrible. Scary. He says, yeah, I, I didn't know what was going on. And it was like at 11 o'clock at night and <laughs> there's a lonely road, no one else around. Uh, it can get kind of scary. We need to have a little bit more feelings and love and, and, and sensitivity to other people's stories because when someone chooses to be very vulnerable with us, they're looking for that response of acceptance. I accept you for who you are. And can we handle a bad word in here? Because <laughs> I want to I want to replay. I want to show something for Brene. Remember I said her pastor always gets on her case because she always says bad words in her videos. And so, so but it's not like it's just one word, but it's I want to I want to show this one and and uh are you are you uh, please It on the cross. Well, and you're, and that's what sets Christianity apart from many of the other religions. In our holy book, all the heroes, all their worst laundry is put out there. I mean, this is not a candy-coated, man, they're perfect. I mean, <laughs> Paul, even himself, which that takes great fun. How would you like to have been one of the people in the Bible where your your mistakes are free? <laughs> And, 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 and I am, I am so, it, it, that you, you hit it on the nail right there because, I mean, Islam uses, when they portray Muhammad in their, I mean, he was perfect. No mistakes, you know, and, but, you know, now that one in our Bible is Jesus, no mistakes, but all the, his servants, I mean, <laughs> how he survived three years with the 12 disciples i don't know. <laughs> you know just how moses survived the 40 years of the wilderness with the israelites i don't know but i mean and it, it, it first it takes our vulnerability with god which then kind of trickles down to other areas and just being that person in front of god saying i'm here 
And because Christ even gave a great example, like what you said, I mean, scripture talks about, I haven't mentioned the scriptures later on in the, in the, in the series is he went to the cross, even the shame of the cross, you know, being exposed on the cross, you know, and it's one of those, let me get to this real quick. And I want your comments on this. Let me see. of shame. We're pretty sure that the only people who don't experience shame are people who have no capacity for connection or empathy. Which means, yes, I have a little shame. No, I'm a sociopath. So I would opt for, yes, you have a little shame. Shame feels the same for men and women, but it's organized by gender. For women, the best example I can give you is Aja Lee, the commercial. I can put the wash on the line, pack the lunches, hand out the kisses, and be work at five to nine. I can bring home the bacon fried up in the pan and never let you forget you're a man. For women, shame is do it all, do it perfectly, and never let them see you sweat. I don't know how much perfume that commercial sold, but I guarantee you it moved a lot of antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds. Shame for women is this web of unattainable, conflicting, competing expectations about who we're supposed to be. And it's a straitjacket. For men, shame is not a bunch of competing, conflicting expectations. Shame is one. Do not be perceived as what? Weak. I did not interview men for the first four years of my study. And it wasn't until a man looked at me one day after a book signing and said, I love what you have to say about shame. I'm curious why you didn't mention men. And I said, I don't study men. And he said, that's convenient. And I said, why? And he said, because you say to reach out, tell our story, be vulnerable. But do you see those books you just signed for my wife and my three daughters? I said, yeah. They'd rather me die on top of my white horse than watch me fall down. When we reach out and be vulnerable, we get the shit beat out of us. And don't tell me it's from the guys and the coaches and the dads. Because the women in my life are harder on me than anyone else. So I started interviewing men and asking questions. And what I learned is this. You show me a woman who can actually sit with a man in real vulnerability and fear, I'll show you a woman who's done incredible work. You show me a man who can sit with a woman who's just had it, she can't do it all anymore, and his first response is not, I unloaded the dishwasher, but he really listens, because that's all we need. I'll show you a guy who's done a lot of work. Shame is an epidemic in our culture. And to get out from underneath it, to find our way back to each other, we have to understand how it affects us and how it affects the way we're parenting, the way we're working, the way we're looking at each other. Very quickly, some research by Mahalik at Boston College. He asked, what do women need to do to conform to female norms? The top answers in this country Nice, thin, modest, and use all available resources for appearance. 
When you asked about men, what do men in this country need to do to conform with male norms? The answers were always show emotional control, work is first, pursue status, and violence. If we're gonna find our way back to each other, we have to understand and know empathy because empathy is the antidote to shame. If you put shame in a Petri dish, it needs three things to grow exponentially, secrecy, silence, and judgment. If you put the same amount of shame in a Petri dish and douse it with empathy, it can't survive. The two most powerful words when we're in struggle, me too. And so I'll leave you with this thought. If we're going to find our way back to each other, vulnerability is going to be that path. And I know it's seductive to stand outside the arena because I think I did it my whole life and think to myself, I'm going to go in there and kick some ass when I'm bulletproof and when I'm perfect. And that is seductive. But the truth is, that never happens. And even if you got as perfect as you could and as bulletproof as you could possibly muster, when you got in there, that's not what we want to see. We want you to go in. We want to be with you in a Oops. across from you. And we just want for ourselves and for the people we care about and the people we work with to dare greatly. So she does it better than anybody else that I can think of. I whoever anybody thought any questions or thoughts about that little that's really cool. Well, and I think she says it better than I can say it, so that's why I just show her. Uh, she she's got a lot of videos on shame and vulnerability on YouTube, Renee Brown. She's written some books, I got her books, I knew her stuff. A lot of it was based on this series is based on her stuff too. That Kurt Thompson. Uh, but she really went remember the thing about the men versus women type of thing? Men, if you understand that about women, and women, you understand that about men, it makes vulnerability with each other a lot better. And and actually, when I've done some of my men classes and women classes, I use this a lot. I teach all women and I'll teach all men. And, you know, it just, vulnerability and just being there for each other and listening with empathy will help us. It doesn't get rid of vulnerability. It helps our vulnerability. Guys, any thought about what she said about men? I'm always interested in that. I don't think anyone else did that with the whole, I desire to be <laughs> Well, it's, it's one of the things, and I love men's ministry and stuff, but it's one of the other things that's come out of men's ministry over the last 20 years of this fighting. And sometimes men need to be little boys, too, in front of God, instead of just these giant warriors. Because actually, we were in a staff meeting at the place I used to work as a counselor, and we were going through a study on men and women. And one of the women in there, it was a Christian counseling practice, and one was, yes, men need to be the leaders, the high priests, and da 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 And the owner of the council, the head counselor, the head of the owner, he goes, I know it's sick of this. And so all the women are like, because we were like outnumbered by the women, by quite a bit. And he goes, I understand the high priest and all that. He said, my struggle is just to be a follower. 
me to be responsible for my wife and my children and in me and in my business. And I said, sometimes I just want to time out from that and I just need to concentrate on me. He said, he said, if my kids mess up, well, I wasn't being a good father role model. If my wife messes up, she says, I wasn't being the high priest of making the correct modeling. And he, he goes, I'm just me. He said, I understand the high priest thing. I agree with you, but there's some days I just like, you know, I'm a little boy in the sense of God, too. And I need a little bit of, you know, that's where the guy says, my wife and daughters are going to be die on my high horse to see me fall. I don't know, guys. I didn't know if any of you picked up that matter or anything. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> but. Uh, I, mean, I get it. I just don't, I just don't feel that way. Like, you know? It's not giving up on it. It's it's kind of doing a good balance of it. You know, yeah. I, I'm not saying we're not, you know, I'm the biblical standards and all that. But there's some days I want to turn to faith and say, look, I'm just trying to be a follower of Christ today. I'm just trying to, you know, I, I can't be everything. I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
and said he was up there and all the leadership in the church was up there with him. And yeah, and said they got up and they said, look, we're not up here in condemnation or judgment. We're up here standing with him. Because we also know that he's going to easily be one of us. And we are up here not in condemnation of him, but we're up here in condemnation of Satan saying he can't act. Because if every church actually handled sin that way, how would the church in the United States change? It's, you know, because if we're not, they're not condemning this man. We are here loving him. And this is not a proclamation for you to turn on him. It's a proclamation to Satan that you cannot touch this man anymore. We are going to, we're going to help him. We're going to protect him. We're going to, we're going to uplift him. So that changes the church. That, that's just a whole different philosophy of the church. Anyway. Amen. Yeah, but I mean, the, 